morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee. And whether you are in person or on the live stream, we offer you a very warm welcome. We are thrilled that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. And if you're a visitor here this morning, which I guess some of you might be, it's Labor Day weekend after all, and so we welcome you. We're thrilled that you are here with us. We hope somebody gave you uh, one of our goodie bags as you came in. If not, make sure afterwards you go up to that visitor's table and grab one. There's good stuff in there that you want to take home with you. And one of our visions here is that we would be a friendly church and a warm church. And so one of the ways we do that, there are friendship pads that are at the end of the aisle. So if you're sitting on the end of the aisle, we'll ask you to get it started. And this is for everybody. We do want to... We don't place favorites. We want to get to know everybody. Uh, get it started, pass it down the aisle, and let us know that you are here. So several different things that I want to uh, highlight in our announcements. I won't be able to go over every one. I hope if you were here a few minutes early, you saw the wonderful video Marianne Johnson did. She has put together this absolutely incredible book that documents God's faithfulness to us as a church over the past 25 years, and the history of the church, especially the early years in terms of all that God did to provide and get started with this wonderful facility that we have. And so there is a sign, if you're interested in purchasing one of those books, the cost is $40, and there's a sign-up sheet out in, it, in the narthex. We would encourage you to do the pre-order sign-up to get that, and we can place that order and get them in, so we encourage that. Next week is the start of Sunday school. And so, yes, we'll all be getting up a little bit earlier. Sunday school for, for kids, for adults, starts at 9.15. And so we want to encourage you to be a part. Maybe you haven't been a part of Sunday school in the past. Evie teaches a class for the children. Harold Parker teaches a class for middle school and high schoolers. And then I'll be team teaching a class with Bill McCartney and Lou Tepper. And we're doing our class called the Practices of Missional Living. See, I'm serious about this topic. I've been preaching on it. We've been preaching on it through Jonah. I, when I get something in my mind, you could ask Evie. I don't let up. I'm kind of like a hound dog. We keep going. So we're going to do that in Sunday school as well. As we look at continued new things going on, the music program is starting a new choir year. Folks, I won't even just say if you're interested in singing. If you are interested in making a joyful noise, even if you're interested in a grumpy noise, the choir is interested in you. They would love to have you participate in the music program. Amy Reeder, Re Reber, our esteemed worship director, choir leader, uh, she's ready to take sign-ups. You can do that. I'm going to remind you about nursery, signing up for that, children's worship. There are opportunities to serve all over the place, and so we would love to have you do that. One final announcement in terms of a kind of save the date type of thing, on Friday evening, September 30th, we're going to have a representative from the missions organization, Here's Life Africa, come and give a presentation on the ministry that they are a part of there. And so if you are interested in that, we'll give more details later, just mark the date for Friday evening, September 30th, at 7 o'clock here in the sanctuary. Like I said, more details to come. So friends, that's some of what's going on in the life of the church. As we hear the prelude, let's 
be still and know that God is God, and we are here to exalt his name together. I don't know what kind of week you all have had. I know for me, my week is always filled with ups and downs, some great times and then some other sorts of times. My allergies, if you hear me going, <clears throat> my allergies have kicked in once again. And I had an experience where for the first time I thought I was doing so well, I had a 16-month streak going on, I set the alarm going for the first time. And so my week has been filled uh, with ups and downs, a lot that I'm excited about and encouraged about. We always print on the front of our bulletin, to all who are weary and need rest, and maybe you feel that way, to all who feel alone and want community, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who worry and want peace, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and to whoever will come. This church offers her welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God himself has initiated and called us into his very presence to exalt his name, to worship him, to commune with him. Our call to worship is from Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Father, we thank you that you have called us into your very presence to fill us, to commune with us, that we may abide with you and you with us. Lord, we recognize we have nothing that we can give you, but we receive from you and then offer you our thanks and our praise and our love. 
We recognize and acknowledge it is only from you and through you and to you that are all things. To you be glory forever. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing together our opening hymn of praise. How firm a foundation. soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake. The promise of God is through Jesus Christ, I will never, no, never, no, never forsake. His word assures us that we are not alone if we are in Christ. The problem is we have this tendency to turn to other things. The Bible calls them idols, 
And idols are always the sin underneath the sin. They're the reason we do the behavior. They're the reason we lie, we gossip, we're proud. Whatever the behavior might be, it is caused that we have replaced or elevated something other than Jesus Christ to ultimate purpose. And those idols will not satisfy the needs of our soul. They won't bring us the security and the love, the union and communion, the satisfaction that our souls need because they are not God. They are powerless. Listen to how the psalmist puts it in Psalm 115. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. They're utterly powerless, and yet we're always turning to them. We're always elevating something and making it ultimate. What is it in your life? What is it you have a tendency to look to for guidance, for strength, for security? Take a few minutes, engage with the Lord privately and personally, and I will lead us in and we will pray together this corporate confession of sin. Let us pray. Let us pray together. Jesus, forgive my sins. Forgive the sins that I remember and the sins I have forgotten. Forgive my many failures in the face of temptation and those times when I have been stubborn in the face of correction. Forgive the times I have been proud of my own achievements and when I have failed to boast in your works. Forgive the harsh judgments I have made of others and the leniency I have shown myself. Forgive the lies I have told to others and the truths I have avoided. Forgive me the pain I have caused others and the indulgence I have shown myself. Jesus, have mercy on me and make me whole. Amen. How does God respond to our sinfulness? Our assurance of pardon is from Micah chapter 7. Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression to the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Friends, I wonder if that is how we picture God. 
I wonder if when we think of God, we think of him as a God who is overjoyed. Listen to the language. He delights in steadfast love. It exalts him to show mercy to us. We should be running to his altar to confess our flaws and our failures and our sins because God is delighted in that. In and through the work of Jesus Christ, we could never save ourselves. Listen to this. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. How deep do you think that sea is? And that's where he has cast them. Friends, if you are in Christ, if you have received Christ and are trusting him, you are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. Receive the assurance of pardon, and let's respond in praise. Let's stand together and sing in Christ alone.
go before the Lord in a time of prayer. We will pray together the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in our pastoral prayer. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we praise you for who you are. We think of the words that we just sang. Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Father, we love and we thank you and we exalt you for the power of Christ. And there are many of our number who need that power now. They are suffering afflictions. Whether they're in a hospital suffering from cancer, whatever the need might be. Lord, may we hear, may we know the reality that Jesus commands our destiny. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Our lives belong to you. And we abide in you, and you abide in us. May we know that here in the power of Christ is where we stand. Not in our own power, not in our own schemes, not in our own devices, not in our own innovations. We stand entirely in the power of Christ. And Father, I do pray that that would be expressed in our lives and in our ministry. That as Jesus taught us to pray, we would be hallowing your name and praying for the coming of your kingdom and asking that your will, your values, your desires, they be done on earth as it is in heaven. That our lives and our motivations and our emotions and our thoughts would be in line with you. We are dependent upon you for everything and we ask your continual forgiveness for our stubbornness and the ways we go our own way, do what seems right in our own eyes. Father, as we're beginning kind of a new church year, we lift up the ministries of the church to you. We lift up the ministry teams. We lift up the elders and the deacons and the women's ministry and the choir, Sunday school that's starting, the home fellowship groups that are starting. We pray for the missions. And we pray, Father, for the vision of the church that we would recognize that everything we do in here, we do some wonderful things, but everything is to equip us and to fuel us to take the gospel out there, out into the community. That we don't do things for the sake of ourselves. We do things to seek the shalom of the community and the city in which we live. That, Lord, we would be your instruments. You have a mission. You are seeking to renew and bring restoration and bring healing to this place. And you have a church for that mission. So may we be part of that church. May we love and cling to you and serve you with all our hearts and all our minds. Lord, may you capture our hearts and grab hold of us in a way that you never have before. That you would transform us. Father, we thank you for this time of worship. As we come before your word in a few moments, may you fill us 
May you empower us and equip us for the calling that you have given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Creatures of our God and King, don't shout out and praise the Lord. The rocks will raise up and praise Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the world's true Lord. Amy, thank you. 
Where'd she go? There she is. I thought I lost her first. She was raptured, and the rest of us missed it. So. <laughs> I absolutely. You, be, you better look out. I'm, I may be fired up now. I like all creatures of our God and King. That is a great, great hymn. Well, where did we leave? For those of you who haven't been with us, we are looking at the prophet Jonah. So if you want to have your Bibles open, Jonah chapter 1, the end of it, verse 17, and I'll read to chapter 2, verse 10. But where did we leave our prodigal prophet, so to speak? The one who got a direct call from God. Go to Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Call out against it. Preach the gospel there. What does Jonah do? He runs the opposite direction. Finds a boat, takes a boat to Tarshish, goes on over there, where all of a sudden a great squall, a storm erupts. The Gentile pagan sailors are in danger. What happens? Our friend Jonah is thrown overboard, and through his sacrifice, the Gentile sailors live. The sea is calm. The sailors are delivered. Salvation and grace have come to them. The sea is calmed. Jonah's drowning in the Mediterranean Sea. What happens to our prophet? Let's hear the word of the Lord from Jonah, chapter 1, 17 to 2.10. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord, out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet. I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols, forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would illumine our hearts and our minds and capture our hearts by the grace and love and deliverance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Show us the condition of our hearts. Show us what Jesus did to deliver us. And show us what difference it can make in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're asking the question, what happened to Jonah? Verse 17 tells us that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. That fish was a gift to him because it saved him from drowning. It awakened him to his need. It saved Jonah and gave him 
three days and three nights to ponder, to think, to reflect, and to pray. We are all, friends, you need to realize this, we are all helpless and lost and in need of deliverance. I remember back in college, my roommate and I were on our way to the Phillies game. We wanted to go to a baseball game one night. And so we got in my old VW van. Remember those Volkswagen vans? The old ones? Yep, I had one of those. So we get on this, and we're on this. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Philadelphia, but there's a double-decker bridge that goes into the city. You go across this double-decker bridge, and then you can weave your way around to the parking lot and be, it was the old veteran stadium, it used to be called, and go to the game. So, of course, there we are, and we're sitting in the middle of this double-decker bridge, traffic all around us. Can't move. When what happens? The car dies. And I mean, it dies. Nothing. So lots of traffic. Car's dead. We're in the middle of this bridge. Not like I can pull it on over. We're lost and in need of deliverance. What are we going to do now? We're helpless and we're powerless. So I get over. I'm sitting in the seat. I'm ready to steer. My friend, my roommate gets out. Fortunately, there were a couple other people. They got out of their cars. They push us the rest of the way over the bridge where I could steer the car and go in the parking lot. Of course, what do we do after that? Oh, I leave it there and we go to the ball game. Did you think I was going to miss a Phillies game? Nah, that wasn't going to happen. Worry about it later. For the moment, we were delivered. This passage before us shows us Jonah's deliverance. By God's grace, Jonah once again begins to experience God. The prophet who was running from God, escaping communion with God, escaping from the presence of God, now once again begins to seek the presence of God. Now, was his repentance perfect? Oh, no. In some ways, and we'll see this especially as we go through the book of Jonah, it was a shallow repentance, but it was movement towards God. And one of the things it reminds us of is we are not saved by the quality of our faith and repentance. We are saved by the object of our faith, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says it all. Salvation comes from the Lord. Deliverance comes from him. We don't contribute anything to our salvation. We don't contribute anything to our deliverance. What do we learn here in this text about God's deliverance of Jonah and subsequently his deliverance of us? Three things. We learn our need for deliverance. We learn the reality or the means of deliverance. And we learn the fruit of deliverance. First of all, we have to recognize so much attention is given. Why is Jonah famous? Why are people afraid? You ever notice you could talk to anybody, whether they're biblically literate or not, and say to them, who are you more familiar with, Jonah or Ezekiel, let's say? They're always going to say Jonah. Why are they familiar with Jonah? The fish. Jonah and the whale. The whale, the fish, gets a lot of attention. Maybe a little bit too much attention. Sinclair Ferguson, who's probably one of my favorite commentators 
on the book of Jonah tells a few stories given which vindicate the authenticity, the historicity, so to speak, of this narrative. For example, he tells a story of a sailor who fell overboard and was apparently swallowed by a fish of similar size to our friend Jonah's here. And then a fellow sailor of his fired a harpoon, struck the fish, and the swallowed sailor was vomited safely out and rescued. He tells another story of how a large fish was found dead on the shores of a sea one time, and when it was dissected, was found to have a horse inside of him. So yes, there is evidence of fish that size. That's there. But Dr. Ferguson makes the very good point that while it's commendable, it's good, it's okay to carefully examine the authenticity of such tales, we need to do so with great caution because he says it is possible that maybe a little bit too much discussion is placed on the identity, the historicity, the authenticity, the details concerning the fish, and it can divert us from the real and more important issues. I love his line. He says he makes the point the fish was only a walk-on, has a walk-on part in this gripping drama. So yes, while there is a natural miracle, miracle here in the physical preservation of Jonah, the greater miracle is the spiritual restoration of Jonah. The greater miracle is Jonah's salvation, Jonah's moving towards God. See, we have to recognize the target is always the heart. And Jonah expresses his need for spiritual restoration. Look at his prayer. Look at him. Now he is in the belly of the fish. Look at verse 2 with me. He says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Isn't it amazing how often we turn to the Lord when we're in distress? We tend to turn more to the Lord when we're feeling broken, aren't we? Out of Jonah's distress where he goes, Okay, Lord, here I come. I'm run, returning to you. Before it's, I have a job for you to do. Nope, running the other way. And of course, he gives the testimony because God's a God who delights in steadfast love. God answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, now recognize what Sheol is. Sheol is the Hebrew term for the place of the dead. That's what Jonah's referring to himself here. He says, out of the belly of Sheol, doesn't say out of the belly of the fish, out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. Notice the language of the flood, hearkening back to the days of Noah, the flood as a form of judgment. All your waves and your billows passed over me, and then I said I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Now, Jonah reveals in his plea for deliverance a very important truth that we need to apply. And that is our restoration to God is mainly a heart issue. We need healing in the area where our rebellion was seated, in the heart. Repentance, which is mainly a returning to God, is a heart issue. It is not simply doing the right thing. Yes, behaviors can be attached to it, behaviors are the fruit of repentance, but repentance is a relational issue, a moving towards God. It is a returning to God in our hearts. 
Jonah is beginning to see his spiritual bankruptcy. He's no longer thinking of himself as a good guy who kind of wants his own way. No, he's lost. He's helpless. He's powerless. He's seeing his horrid condition. That's why he expresses the heart of his spiritual bankruptcy in verse 8 when he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. This is the reason for his condition. This is the sin underneath the sin. The issue is what has your heart? What has captured your heart? That's the application. Tim Keller in his leadership training material discusses this phenomenon. He quotes a theologian by the name of Rebecca Pipp Pippert. She worked for InterVarsity years ago. And according to her, she puts this this way. She says, what is the basic human disorder? She writes, according to Brazilian psychiatrist Kep, it is the disease of theomania, the desire to be God, the desire to be the playwright instead of the actor in the drama. The same God complex is alive and well today. She tells the story of a friend coming over the other day who was very enthusiastic about a New Age seminar she had attended. She said, I finally realized it. I finally figured it out. God is in everything. Therefore, I am God and God is me. I must only think positive thoughts and not let anything negative get in me or get me down. I don't say anything is wrong anymore. I just say it doesn't work for me. Pippert looks at her friend and she says, huh. You're the mother of teenagers, aren't you? You're the mother of teenage children, to which she responded, yep. So how does your philosophy work in raising children? Are they permitted to follow the same logic that you're espousing? When you tell them to be in at a certain time, are they allowed to say, sorry, mom, that just doesn't work for me? See, why do we have this basic human disorder? What exactly is idolatry? What is it to pay vain regard to cling to worthless idols? The dynamic is given to us by Paul in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1 we read, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. And then down in verse 25 he says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. Tim Keller probably does the best job explaining this dynamic and what this means for us. He says if we look at this, our root problem is our unwillingness to glorify God. For although they knew God, we were built to worship God. The knowledge of God at some level is ingrained in us, but we've suppressed that truth in unrighteousness, in our unwillingness to glorify him, to worship him, to give him the glory that he's due. That's our root problem. It's a rebellion, a heart rebellion that is unwilling to glorify God. So what do we do? We choose created things as gods. The text says we worshipped and served created things rather than God. See, we must worship something. And then he says, therefore, each life is distorted by a life lie. 
He says at the base of all our life choices, our emotional structure, our personality becomes a false belief system that is centered on an idol. That there is something besides God that gives us life, that gives us security, that gives us significance, that gives us purpose. Something besides Jesus that we say, I have to have. We look to something besides Jesus to be our Savior, our sense of being okay. And even though we think we're free, that puts us in bondage. We're in bondage. See, you belong to what you worship and serve. That's a fundamental dynamic. You belong to what you worship. If you worship Jesus Christ, you belong to him, and you're truly free. Turn away from Jesus Christ. You belong to whatever it is you're worshiping, and you're in bondage to that. So what is it that has captured your heart? I'll tell you what it is for me. I'll tell you what I have a tendency to do. See, I'm an old, oldest child. And as an oldest child, I have two younger siblings. Do you know what that means I have? I have a disease. It's called oldest child syndrome. Oh, you didn't even know there was a syndrome named after it, did you? Oldest child syndrome. And here's what it means. And remember, our weaknesses always come out of our strengths. I was always, as the oldest child, responsible. Whether I wanted to be or not, I was the leader. But here comes the weakness. I always wanted others to be happy. I wanted everybody around me to be happy. I wanted to meet their expectations. I was always scared to death of failure. I still struggle with this today. You have to realize behaviors are always a symptom of the real issue. The issue is always our heart and what we're giving ourselves to, what has captured our heart. So see, while it can be a good thing that you want others to be happy, you serve others, you lead others, that's a good thing. There can be symptoms with it. When do I know my flesh is running rampant? When I become driven, demanding, anxious, insecure. I want everybody to be happy, and I'm going to need that more than anything else. And I can become a bit of a people pleaser in that sense. Because the reality of the text is those who pay attention, who pay regard to vain idols. Remember the language of the text, vain idols. They have mouths, but they can't speak. They can't communicate life. They have eyes. What do eyes do? They allow you to see. They can't give guidance. They have ears that are meant to hear. It's part of relationship. Idols can't hear you. You can't speak to the idols and they respond. They're vain idols. So when you pay regard, you may still be saved, but you're, the light of joy has begun to be dimmed. You're not experiencing God the way you were meant to. Jonah had to learn that the way up is down. And for him, it was way down, all the way into the belly of a fish. Which brings us to our next point. How did Jonah make it back up? What were the means of deliverance? We've already noted that Jonah's restoration to God was from the depth. And in God's grace and providence, God intercepted Jonah's self-destructive behavior. Look at verse 5. Jonah says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, 
And I love the word yet. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Friends, this language is the language of judgment. Jonah is reflecting on the judgment of God on his life. The engulfing waters threatened me. Earlier in verse 4, he confessed, I am driven away from your sight. What Jonah is recognizing is that he deserved the judgment of God. That he deserved this. That he's without hope. That he's helpless. But listen to his testimony. He says, yet you brought my life up from the pit. This is alluding to the language of Psalm 40 where the psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Now from where we're standing, from our perspective looking back on Jonah, how does God lift us up out of the pit? and place our feet firmly standing on a rock. See, we know from our perspective that while Jonah only went down to the belly of the fish, who's the greater Jonah? Who is Jonah pointing to? Jesus. That Jesus is the greater Jonah who actually went down all the way to the belly of the earth, where the waves didn't just engulf him, they crushed him. He went all the way down under the waves. Jesus is the rock who went all the way down for us as our substitute. See, look at what it says in verse 4 and then again in verse 7. Jonah says, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. And then in verse 7 he says, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Why is the fact of the temple so significant? that it's repeated twice. First, because the temple was the place of God's most intimate dwelling place. It was the place of his intimate presence. The place where heaven and earth met. It was the place that represented for Jonah what he was previously running away from as fast as he could, but now he's moving towards. He says, yet again I will look upon you where in your holy temple I'm moving towards your intimate presence. He is desiring, he is hungry for intimate communion with God. Remember I said repentance is relational. It's not just I'm doing the right thing. It's our hearts being captured by a greater love. Our hearts being captured by the love of Jesus Christ. I will look, it is significant that he says, I will look upon you in the place where heaven and earth meet. He is wanting the presence of God. And second, The temple is the place of sacrifice. It is the place where sacrifices for sin is made. Jonah looking towards the temple is saying, like it says in Rock of Ages, all for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Salvation comes from the Lord. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for our sins to make us acceptable for God. No amount of success No amount of relationships, no amount of health, no amount of money, no amount of fame, no amount of recognition can make you acceptable before God. 
As a matter of fact, what does the prophet Isaiah say? He says, all our works, our best works, think about this. This is why the quality of Jonah's repentance is not what matters. He could give the best repentance, say the greatest prayer, with the most amount of faith. But Isaiah says, all your best works are like filthy rags in the sight of God. Offer your best prayer, give your best behavior, your best repentance, and it will never make you acceptable before God. Only Jesus' sacrifice as your substitute. He substituted himself for you. He went all the way down. He took the judgment of God so that the judgment of God will never have to take you. That's why it was significant that Jonah was looking towards the temple. That was the place of sacrifice. And what difference does it make in his life? Well, just as in Psalm 40 we read, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. What do we read in verse 9? He says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Oh, friends, what a powerful testimony. Jonah goes from running away from the Lord to salvation comes from the Lord. And the fruit of grace, the fruit of deliverance in a person's life is worship. The song of the gospel is in Jonah. He is singing a song of thanksgiving. And notice what else. When he says, I will sacrifice to you, that doesn't mean he's sacrificing to be acceptable. That means he's now recognizing that his whole life belongs to the Lord. His heart has been captured by a new love. The target is always the heart. Jesus loves you so much, he wants to capture your heart. He doesn't just want a part of you, he wants all of you. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we are not our own. We were bought with a price. And friends, let me tell you something, that is the only way you can be free. Our culture tells us at every turn, you are your own. You make your own choices. You're responsible for your own life. You command your destiny. That's why we sang in Christ alone, Jesus and Jesus alone commands our destiny, and that and that alone will make you free. Free is not freedom from, so we can do whatever we want. Free is free to. Belong to Jesus. Have him be responsible for your life. Have him call, your shot, call the shots in your life. See, Jonah recognizes, like the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon, commenting on the nature of salvation, Spurgeon wrote, a sinner can no more repent and believe without the Holy Spirit's aid than he can create a world. Salvation comes from the Lord. And when we meet up with Jonah again, we will see that he is saved to be sent, that he is graced to offer grace to others. And friends, that's true of us as well. We have not been saved to be consumers and just do church. We have been saved to be sent. Our prayers are to be directed towards the salvation of this community. Everything we do in here is for the purpose of going out there. We have been saved to be sent, grace to offer grace, 
blessed to be a blessing to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that salvation comes from you. It belongs to you and that all for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Lord, we pray that you will capture our hearts and our hearts would truly belong to you and we would live to be sent for others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I bet you after Jonah was vomited out of the fish, he probably cleaned himself up. But then I bet you he sang, it is well with my soul. What do you say we do that? Let's stand and sing.
I want to invite you all to open your hands like this so that you can receive the Lord's benediction. The word benediction means blessing. And the gospel is our richest blessing. And we receive that blessing so that we can go out into the world to be a blessing. And so, my friends, receive the blessing of the Lord. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.